through 12. Ruth 4, 1 through 12. Let's go to prayer, asking God for his help. Our God of wonder, we do thank you for the opportunity, this grace to hear your word. We pray that we will hear them with ears of faith, that we will see with eyes of faith the truth of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Ruth 4, 1 through 12. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Mahlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. May be seated. We come now to the second to last message in our sermon series in the book of Ruth. I haven't spent a ton of time in Ruth. It's just the sixth message, but it's taken us some time since we're meeting every other week. And we saw the tides turning in the last chapter, chapter 3, with Naomi's settled trust in a soon redemption. Everyone we saw last time was hotly pursuing this rest of redemption, but now we see redemption threatened. We see this rest challenged. And if we're reading this book for the first time, and most likely we are not, but you can imagine a first-time reader coming to this, a first-time reader also who happens to be well-versed in our culture's love of a happy ending. If that's you, you say, well, hold on a second. Everything was headed to Boaz saving the day. And now... 
there's this other guy. You're not supposed to introduce another character at the end of a story, unless there's a significant reason for it. Will Ruth and Naomi be redeemed, we wonder? Will Ruth marry, or must she go back to square one? Will Naomi and her dead husband Elimelech experience the blessing of their name moving on? But it's not just Ruth and Naomi that we are concerned about. After all, their story is over, isn't it? I mean, in a sense, yes. It's not like they are living here on earth, hidden from our view. They are alive in Christ with God. But sometimes we ourselves wonder about our own redemption. Sometimes we ask, is our redemption secure? Shall we see it? So many episodes of suffering and so many daily falls into sin seem to threaten our one-day redemption, the consummation. Satan knows no Sabbath. He is always on the move to hip-check us against the boards, to bloody our mouths, to break our legs. Is our redemption certain? And if so, where does this certainty come from? Does it come from you? Does it come from your family member, your friend? Does it come from an organization? Where does it come from? And we see in this text that the Redeemer takes on all the obligations of redemption, accomplishes redemption, and is then blessed for his work of redemption. In chapter 3, we heard Naomi words, remember, she says that the man will not rest until this matter is settled. So Boaz is, Boaz is at work, we see in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And so in the first six verses, we see the unresting Boaz at work. His first order of business is to go to the place of business, to go to the city gate. This was the place where justice would be decided. This is where business would be transacted. And he sits down calmly, and he awaits the nearest Redeemer. Apparently, he he knew who this nearest Redeemer was. And he asks him to turn aside to consider a matter of urgent importance. We don't know what this man was set out to do for that day. But this was of utmost importance for Boaz. This had to be settled. And he didn't matter. it didn't matter to him if he was going to inconvenience this guy. And perhaps for the sake of sparing the guilty, or perhaps to highlight Boaz's willingness, we're not actually given the name of this nearest Redeemer. Do you want to know his name? Well, the Hebrew text has Mr. So-and-so. That's what it is. Mr. So-and-so. Boaz is saying to Mr. So-and-so, Naomi has returned, is selling the land that belonged to her and Elimelech. You are the nearest redeemer. Would you like to buy this land? Would you like to redeem this land? And land is costly. It takes a lot of money to get additional land, to get any land. But it can be quite lucrative. You can do a lot if you have more land. Many in our own country are dissatisfied with their small plots of land. 
and are looking for more land on which to build a home, raise some chickens, of course, and to live and be a family, perhaps out of the view of the government. And this was no small offer to Mr. So-and-so. But apparently, Mr. So-and-so had enough money to redeem this land. He says, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. You know those TV ads that try to get you to buy some stuff? That's, of course, every TV ad. But you know the ones that just pile on all the good things for so low a price? That phrase, but wait, there's more. You know, if you thought that two Misty Mates for $19.99, and I'm dating myself here, but I don't know if you guys know what that is, but a little container, uh, you put, put water in, you pump it, and then mist comes out. Great for golfing in, in Phoenix. If you thought that two Misty Mates for $19.99 was a, was a deal, then wait, there's more. We're going to throw in a carrier for no extra charge. And if you thought that wasn't enough, have a, a Misty Mate, a mini Misty Mate for your car. For no extra charge. But wait, there's more. If you act now, free shipping and handling. And on and on, you're like, what? I don't want to lose money on this. <laughs> I need to you know, jump on this deal. Well, Boaz hits Mr. So-and-so with, oh, but wait, there's more. But not one that sweetens the deal, but one that complicates it. He says, it's like, oh, yeah. I almost forgot, Mr. So-and-so. You can't just redeem the land. You have to redeem the people of the land as well. You also get Ruth. By the way, she's a Moabitess. By the way, she's a widow. You'll need to perpetuate their name. But wait, there's more. Mr. So-and-so, he considers this. And he shows himself then to be a wishy-washy redeemer. For he who moments ago said, I will redeem it, now says, I can't redeem it for myself. You take my right of redemption, Boaz. I can't do it. And the legal background to the ace up Boaz's sleeve was Deuteronomy 25, the leveret marriage. And it's a lengthy text, but I want to read a significant portion of it. It says, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son... The wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Quite lengthy name for what had happened, but that's the background. It's a very serious affair, isn't it? Mr. So-and-so says, I can't. I can't redeem it. I can't have Ruth. I cannot perpetuate the name. I cannot lose my inheritance. Because he'd then be sharing much of his wealth with this Leverett family, with this 
Step family. But instead of spit, there does seem to be a, a happy deal between these two men here. Nevertheless, Mr. So-and-so's refusal to redeem is a significant refusal. He has counted the cost of redemption, and to redeem both land and people would harm his name and his future, and he's just not going to do it. The cost is too much. This reminds us that redemption is, is sacrificial. That redemption is costly. Redemption is for the good of another. It was going to cost Mr. So-and-so significantly if he was going to redeem the land and then the people on it. That cost would also fall to Boaz. Redemption is costly. I've mentioned this before in a sermon, but Boaz isn't getting a lot out of this. Yes, he does want to marry Ruth, but he is uh, more other-oriented than Mr. So-and-so. He wants to give rather than get, and Mr. So-and-so wants to get. He loved having the idea of more land. He did not love the idea of having more people on that land, people that would then challenge his own supply, his own wealth. Can't do it. Not going to do it. You take my right of redemption, Boaz. And so we are reminded that everyone and everything who is not Jesus Christ cannot pay the cost of redemption. Everyone in the Old Testament, every fine saint in the Old Testament functions at best as a type, at best as a shadow. Doesn't matter whom you pick, pick whatever you pick whomever you want in the Old Testament. Pick your favorite Old Testament saint. Maybe it's Noah. Maybe it's Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Caleb, Samuel, one of the twelve judges, King David, one of the fiery prophets. Not one of them could pay the cost of redemption. Every one of them pointed so slightly as a type or as a shadow, to Christ. Every example in the New Testament and beyond in church history imitates the Christ as our example, but does so weakly, imperfectly, and is not the Redeemer. Again, take your pick from the New Testament and beyond. Maybe your favorite New Testament guy is the Apostle Paul. That'd be a good choice. My favorite New Testament guy is Jesus, but... Maybe it's the Apostle John. Maybe in church history, you love John Calvin. I know I do. Or John Knox. Maybe you love Billy Graham and his evangelistic fervor. Who can't love R.C. Sproul? Even when he says, what's wrong with you people? Or our own beloved past Cross Creek pastors. Our own beloved chaplains. Everyone in the New Testament and beyond can imitate but never accomplish redemption. Everything in creation itself can be a gift from God, our giver, but is not the giver of redemption. All these blessings that we see in friendship and money, food and drink, Intimacy, success, a farm, a business, car, family, whatever it is, these are all excellent gifts from God. 
but not one of them is our Redeemer. Not one of them is our joy, our communion, our satisfaction. There's only one, is Jesus Christ. Everything that is not Jesus fails to picture redemption. Even Boaz, as highly as we have spoken of him, fails to picture perfectly the Redeemer. Well, returning to the text, verse 7, in order to see redemption accomplished, a certain set of rules must be kept. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So there's law-keeping in this text here. The narrator helps us to know how this transaction was conducted. There's local Israelite custom. There are some similarities, and there are some differences between this custom and what we see, what I read in Deuteronomy 25 on the leveret marriage. Leveret marriage is involved in each of these texts. The duty to carry on the, brother's, the dead brother's name is seen in each of these. The business takes place at the gate and in the presence of elders, in the presence of witnesses. Perpetuating the name is seen in each. There's also mention of sandals in both texts. But the mention of the spit is absent here in, in Ruth 4. And the use of the sandals is different. In Deuteronomy 25, the sandal is, is pulled off of the Redeemer and spit flies in his face. In Ruth, Mr. So-and-so removes his sandal to indicate that he has given up his right of redemption. It is the ancient custom that indicated the transfer of goods, of rights, even of a sacrifice. Today, we can compare it to the, thankfully, less smelly giving of a wedding ring. So there's custom that's being kept. In verse 9, there's mention of witnesses. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Kilion and, all, and, and to Mahon. And so we see that from the very beginning, Boaz made sure to involve others, made sure to involve elders and witnesses and the people. He made sure he had ten elders to witness everything in public. He didn't want Mr. So-and-so to agree to redeem this land and then people and then to reject this redemption, this right, without everyone seeing publicly who said what and who did what. To settle this matter of redemption, everyone needed to be on the same page. So Mr. So-and-so says, no, can't do it. And Boaz agrees then to take upon all the costs of redemption himself. And so we see the fullness of redemption. Do you see, dear ones, how Boaz assures everyone that no one thing nor one person will go unnoticed, will go unredeemed. All that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Kilion, all that belonged to Mahlon and Ruth, all the land and all the people on the land, everything and everyone redeemed. Boaz made sure that these people and that this place would be redeemed. That even the dead Elimelech, the dead Kilion, the dead Mahlon would find redemption. We see then that Christ 
took upon himself all the obligations for our redemption. The only redeemer of God's elect followed. He kept every jot and tittle of the law. He didn't follow just the local custom of Israel, but he followed the whole law of God. And he ensured that the ceremonial law would be kept. He ensured that the civil law would be kept. He ensured that the moral law would be kept. That every bit of the law would be fulfilled. Because he, as our mediator, is our prophet, our priest, and our king. As he ministered on earth, like Boaz had done, Christ put before the people witnesses. So many witnesses as to his identity. I could have taken so many other texts, but I just took two texts, John 5 and 1 John 5. And you see the many witnesses in these two texts. In John 5, Jesus puts before the people there John the Baptist as a witness to the identity and the person of Christ. He puts before the people the works of Christ, his miracles. He puts before the people his Father in heaven. I don't want to question our Savior, but I feel like you want to just lead with the Father in heaven as your witness. But he puts before the people the scriptures and Moses, five witnesses in that chapter. And in 1 John 5, John puts before the readers three witnesses, the water of baptism, the blood of the cross, and the Holy Spirit. And we have eight witnesses in these two texts. If we were to add the elders of Revelation, the prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the New Testament, so many more witnesses. If we add the testimony of both heaven and earth, We have countless witnesses. We have everyone, everything in creation testifying that Jesus is the Redeemer, that there is no other Redeemer. He is who he says he is. He is truly God and truly man. Salvation is in no other name than in the name of Jesus Christ. All of creation testifies. The heavens declare the glory of Christ. But for Christ... Taking on all the obligations of redemption meant also his suffering for us. This is where we see Boaz doesn't explicitly mirror Christ. Yes, he does take on obligations that will inconvenience him. But there really isn't any humiliation or suffering that we see in Boaz. Again, Boaz is a shadow of the Christ, but is not the Christ. But for Christ, if he is going to take on all the obligations of redemption for us, he had to be humbled. He had to suffer. Although Mr. So-and-so was spared Boaz's spit, or Ruth's spit, or Naomi's spit, our Savior was not spared the spit. In Matthew 26, 66, it says that people were saying, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And our Savior didn't have only his sandal pulled off of him, but he had all of his attire as he was hanging naked, ashamed on the cross, mocked at. The perfect lawkeeper, treated like the consummate lawbreaker. And for what? Not to fulfill the duty of a leveret marriage, but to secure an eternal marriage with his bride. As the hymn writer asks, full atonement, can it be? Yes. Amen. It can be. 
this is not too good to be true. It's too good for you, but it's not too good to be true. This is so gracious of our God to lavish upon us full atonement, which is what we would need. Partial atonement is insufficient for us. That would leave us to do something or someone else to do something to carry out the rest. But no, full atonement, full satisfaction of the law's demands, full payment of the penalty due us, full taking upon himself the curse for our sin. Full atonement can it be? Such amazing grace. Verse 10, Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And so do you see through Boaz the action here that is life-giving? He is bringing physical death to physical life, if you will. He intends to preserve the name of the dead. By redeeming Naomi, he will carry on the line of Elimelech. Remember, this is primarily Naomi's redemption. You see that very clearly in the next section of Ruth 4. The name will not be cut off. This little family will not be forgotten. They will live, and they will live in a redeemed land. And this, of course, then pictures for us Christ, bringing us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Such life-giving work of Jesus. Graciously, generously, abundantly, Christ gives us new spiritual life. A new creation, one that is joined to our bodies. Which bodies yearn for the resurrection? One that starts in the heart, but is not divorced from the land that is creation. As Romans 8 says, all of creation awaits the resurrection. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. As Revelation 21 and 2 Peter 3 say that the new heavens and earth will come down to God's creation here. Such new life because of the the fullness of redemption that Christ has wrought with his life, his death, his resurrection. So what do God's people do in response? We do what we see here is being done. We follow the example set forth in verses 11 and 12. Follow along with me. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. You notice the, this is a, somewhat of a side issue, but you notice the faith given there. The Lord is going to bring offspring by this young woman. They are assured of that. So what do we see here? We see the blessing. The people, these witnesses, affirm the legality of the transaction. And they then pronounce blessings on Boaz and on Ruth and on Naomi and all involved here. The Lord had used Rachel and Leah to build up the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, with 12 sons. And the image here that says, who is coming into your house, the image that they are invoking is that of the bride coming into the house of her groom. 
They have remarkably included Ruth among the ranks of Israel's fine women of old. Here is the nation Israel witnessing the inclusion of a Gentile into the house of God. And this is in the Old Testament. And this is in the period of the Judges. You again see the context of why this was important to include Ruth as we're going through Judges. As we see Philistines being conquered. And a bunch of other ites that hate Yahweh. Here we have a Gentile, a Moabitess, who was converted. God is not against the nations. He is against the nations that rage against the king. But he calls them to himself. Come, be saved, be converted, be changed. And he includes Ruth into his house. That's you and me, dear ones. We've been included, us Gentiles. There's inclusion, there's fruitfulness. Not only do they bless Boaz, not only do they include Ruth, but they pray for fruit. They're saying, may this one Gentile be as fruitful as these two Israelite matriarchs. Like the psalmist in Psalm 127, verse 1, they know that unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain to build it. They're praying then for fruitfulness. They're praying for prosperity. They pray that Boaz would prosper in Bethlehem. They're saying, may Boaz's name never be forgotten. Was their prayer answered? Yes. And to mention Perez was to highlight the one from whom Boaz's clan came. Through Tamar, whose husband had died without children, Judah fathered Perez. And now these witnesses are praying that through Ruth, Boaz will father a son and live on from generation to generation, even as Judah, the son of Israel, lives on through his offspring. So the final point of application is that inclusion, fruitfulness, and prosperity in God's house depend on God. Because of this sovereign fruitfulness, we praise God and pray for these blessings. We praise the greater Boaz, Jesus the Christ, for including us Gentiles into his house. But we don't stop at that praise. We pray for more. More Gentiles, God. Yes, of course, more Jews. More Gentiles and Jews. More people, O oh God. Bring them into your house, we pray. We praise the greater Boaz, Jesus the Christ, for his everlasting fruitfulness. We don't stop at praise. We continue to pray. We pray that the Son, as everlasting Father, would sire countless spiritual children. Will our prayers be answered? We have Scripture warrant to say yes. We praise the greater Boaz, Jesus the Christ, for his eternal prosperity. And we pray. We pray that his name would never be forgotten, but that more and more would acknowledge his name above all other names. Will that prayer be answered? Absolutely. For his name is above all names. For he is the only Redeemer of God's elect. Amen. Let's pray. Our glorious Savior, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the theme of redemption. It's the theme of our own lives. 
We thank you, O Father, that you have given us your Son to take upon himself all the obligations of redemption and to accomplish redemption, and so to be blessed, to be praised for that sufficient and final work. We pray, Lord, for more, more inclusion, more fruitfulness, more prosperity, and we are thankful that you answer that prayer with a yes. And so we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.